You and I need to know that as developing Christ followers, we are ambassadors of another government. We hold a dual citizenship. We're citizens of the nation in which we reside, but more importantly, we're also citizens of another government, and we have access to wisdom, competence, authority, and resources from a higher plane. Many of you have heard about American pastor Andrew Brunson, who was imprisoned in Turkey for two years. Originally from North Carolina, Pastor Brunson and his wife Noreen served in Turkey for more than 20 years where they established Izmir Resurrection Church. They openly shared Christ and also helped Syrian refugees, some of them Kurds. Back in 2016, there was a failed coup attempt against the president of Turkey, and in the crackdown which ensued, Pastor Brunson was swept up and falsely accused of being a CIA agent and plotting with Kurdish terrorists. He was arrested three months later in October of 2016 after the coup attempt and was facing up to 35 years in prison if convicted of espionage. He spent two years in prison, some of it in solitary confinement, very harsh conditions. But this is a story of sustained prayer in America and around the world. It's about the quest to fight for religious freedom in America and internationally, being salt and light in government, international relations, media, and more. And as a Christ follower, how you are actually an ambassador of another government. You have dual citizenship. I don't know if you know this. You're a citizen of the country in which you live, but you're now also a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you have access to wisdom, to competence, authority, and resources. Welcome, friend, to episode 37 of Jesus Smart, the podcast. The horizon we're questing after is that Jesus knows how life works best now, and the future not only belongs to him. Here's the mind-bending news. It's showing up in the present. Travis Weber is an attorney who serves on the leadership team of FRC, the Family Research Council. Along with Tony Perkins, president of FRC, Travis was in the courtroom on the day the American pastor was released in October of 2018. And 24 hours later, Pastor Andrew Brunson was kneeling in the Oval Office of the White House, his hand on President Trump's shoulder, praying for the president. This is a true life story on an international stage. It's also something of a parable of the power of prayer, the quest for justice and the opportunity we have to engage the political space and even international relations with the salt and light of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Now, we have a guest today, Travis Weber from the Family Research Council. In his work, he's been very involved in the release, the recent release of Pastor Andrew Brunson in October of 2018. There was a lot of um, sustained prayer in America and around the world, and there was this, this quest for religious freedom coming out of America and also internationally, and there's just a, a real emphasis upon being salt and light, even in international relations and government and public policy. So I'm going to ask a question of Travis. Is it true that he and Tony Perkins, the FRC president, Family Research Council president, was sent by a federal agency to help bring this pastor home? But before that, let me just give you a bit of a bio about Travis. I'm going to take just a moment with this because uh, I, I just want you to get the context of today's guest. 
He's an attorney who serves on the leadership team of Family Research Council, President Tony Perkins. What does the Family Research Council do? Well, its vision is to create a culture in which all human life is valued, families flourish, religious liberty thrives. They work on issues of faith, family, and freedom and public policy from a Christian worldview. Travis serves as vice president for policy at the Family Research Council. He's responsible for the development of public policy from a Christian worldview. He also advises legal developments with FRC, and he's currently focused on FRC's international religious freedom advocacy efforts. Uh, He's an attorney. He's practiced law in the areas of civil rights, criminal defense, military law. He holds a JD, a Juris Doctor from Regent University School of Law. He's also graduated with an LLM, a Master of Laws in International Law, and he also holds a Certificate in International Human Rights Law from Georgetown University Law Center. Prior to his education, Travis served as a Navy pilot after graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy, and he was captain of the Intercollegiate Sailing Team and a two-time college sailing All-American. How was that? How was that sailing team experience, Travis? Well, that was uh, quite a lot of fun um, back in at the Naval Academy, um, you know, which was a great experience itself, being able to serve the country, serve in the Navy. And, uh, you know, it's been an interesting journey that has taken me um, to law school and now to do the work that I'm doing now. So some really interesting things to see. And and, and one of those was the latest hearing uh, in Pastor Brunson's case in Turkey, the hearing at which he was released. It is true that that you and the FRC president were, were sent to Turkey representing the the federal agency which focuses on uh, religious freedom. It's the, what is it? The U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Yeah, that, that's correct. So Tony Perkins, uh, FRC president, was appointed a commissioner on the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom by um, Senate Leader McConnell. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so he's serving as a commissioner and still serving as FRC president. He went to Turkey to monitor the latest hearing in Pastor Brunson's case in his role as a commissioner. I attended with him uh, in my role at Family Research Council. So we were both there, but uh, engaged in in slightly different roles. Um, Nevertheless, it was the same hearing we were all at and all able, very blessed to be a part of this uh, sequence of events, which led to Pastor Brunson's release. Yeah. Now, just to establish some context, what what are your thoughts about what's happening in Turkey? I believe Turkey is a member of NATO. My understanding is that Turkey over in recent years was becoming a little bit more westernized. It seems like there's been a turn in recent years there. Yeah. I mean, I think the general sense is that um, Erdogan, the current leader, is taking the country in a more Islamicized direction away from the other Western um, direction that the country had taken largely for the last hundred years since World War One. You know, and this is a generalized picture, but you know, the country had been fairly tolerant in terms of permitting different religious groups, permitting people with different beliefs to live and exist in Turkey. Um, that includes Christians. You know, under Erdogan, uh, the, the country is tightening its grip in terms of how it culturally and governmentally views those of different beliefs. One of the ways this manifested itself recently was after a failed coup attempt against Erdogan in 2016, Mm -hmm. he really clamped down hard on who he viewed as the coup perpetrators, followers of this uh, Turkish religious leader, Gulen, Gulenists as they're known, both in and outside of Turkey. 
Okay. And uh, Kurds, separatists, and others he viewed as part behind this attempt. And Hester Brunson was unfortunately kind of swept up in the net of this um, post-coup activity. Do you think this was just a random getting caught up in this uh, with the pastor, or or was there is there some was there some agenda with the Turkish government? Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like he was swept up initially. However, once Erdogan realized he had this pastor, he decided to use him as a political bargaining chip. I mean, there was never really any evidence against Pastor Brunson being behind any of these efforts against the government. Right. Throughout the proceedings and the hearing, Pastor Brunson has consistently said that he has cooperated with the government against any legitimate terrorist or people opposing the government engaged in criminal activity. Um, he's always cooperated with the government. He simply has tried to pastor his church in a way that serves everyone, comes in the doors, and that probably included people of different backgrounds, yeah. in different places. So there no, there's no evidence of anything the government was accusing him of, but they used him in this way in their negotiations with the United States. And uh, ultimately, the United States responded by pressuring Turkey and saying this is unacceptable to persecute someone who was simply pastoring a church there in peace for no real uh, legitimate reason. You're you're just jailing him and using him as this political bargaining chip. Mm-hmm. Our government engaged in increasingly high, higher level um, adverse actions against Turkey. In addition to raising this issue with the Turkish government, we, under President Trump, imposed sanctions on two high-level Turkish officials for their involvement. Mm-hmm. Human rights abuses, which enables us to sanction them, the human rights abuse being imprisonment um, in a sham in sham proceedings imprisoning Pastor Brunson. These sanctions were compounded by the trade actions that President Trump took against the Turkish government. A lot of these these activities collectively had an adverse effect on Turkish currency and economic situation, which Erdogan did not like very much. Um, in addition to the scrutiny that us and other governments were placing them under with regard to Pastor Brunson's case. All of this led to them really wanting to get rid of this case. And I think that came to a head at this hearing where, you know, the hearing was very fascinating because it, it, it basically was conducted in a way which all of a sudden was allowing evidence in that was favorable to him. New witnesses were testifying. Uh, some of them had not been testifying before. Others were um, counter contradicting the government's witnesses who had previously testified, and this set the stage for a reduced sentence and, and a lifting of the exit ban for Pastor Brunson. Um, you know, but I think th- th- behind the scenes, this was all receiving approval of the government, who just wanted to resolve the case. So on its face, it looked like conclusion of the proceedings, but really was it was just a way to get rid of this case. Yeah, I guess we could say that few things talk like money, right? And and this administration took a took a really strong position on these economic sanctions. Um, it really seems that under just a sidebar, but it really seems that under this current administration in the United States, that there is a much more of a concern and action for uh, religious liberty around the world, advocating for that and doing what America can do to advance that. Is that your sense? Yeah, I do think the Trump administration has elevated this issue. Yeah. Um, this was the first time we have sanctioned a NATO ally over such an, an occurrence. Wow. Uh, that's very significant. Two, several months ago, the end of July, the State Department hosted a ministerial on religious freedom, really just a gathering of world leaders and activists yeah, on the issue. I remember that. Um, they came together, put out a, a, a statement on what we believe on the issue, 
put together an action plan, put together a genocide response program, funded some other initiatives, announced other initiatives, um, really got the ball rolling in terms of saying, here's where we stand on religious freedom. We welcome everyone to join us in these efforts. We're going to fight worldwide to elevate the issue of religious freedom. Uh, and this really is an issue that needs to be elevated in our foreign policy. So I think you know, the, the administration with Vice President Pence, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, complementing President Trump's focus on this. Um, we're well positioned to push on this issue now, and we should be pushing on it. So that's something I hope we keep doing, and, and it really was good to see the actions that we took with regard to Pastor Brunson. Now, my understanding is that Pastor Brunson was released from prison in July of this year and then and then was under house arrest leading up to his court session just this month? That's correct. So um, he was imprisoned in, in jail for almost two years at times in solitary confinement, very difficult conditions. You know, I think he, he really stood up well. He lived the faith very well mm -hmm. under difficult conditions, but it was still taking its toll on him. Um, you know, I think going to house arrest probably made, made it a bit easier, but there was still a lot of uncertainty in this case right up until the hearing earlier in October. You know, you could see that on, on his face in the courtroom. You can see it on his wife, Noreen's face. Noreen was with us observing the proceedings in the back. And it was very emotional being there with them in the courtroom because it just gave you a sense of, yeah, they, they didn't know how it was going to go. No one knew No one knew how it was going to go. Sure, sure. And they have children yeah, so, back in America, right? Their children are back in America and, and they have a family. Yes, they have, they have children here, a lot of supporters, friends and family. I have fellow church members over in Turkey still, and a lot of those were at the hearing with us. Mm. Um, you know, so it was very, very tenuous for them, um, you know, and that really wore on them. You know, at times in the courtroom, things got emotional, um, tears were shed, Pastor Brunson broke down crying at one point. But it meant a lot to him that, that we were in the back. It meant a lot to him that people were praying here and around the world. Uh, his main concern was that he would be forgotten uh, by people outside of Turkey. And it was very encouraging to be able to reassure him that he was not forgotten. Um, Travis, what is your sense of what the prayer movement was like internationally to, to sustain this pastor and to pray for his release? Could you just give us a sense of that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, the full scope of it. Um, I do think it was very... It was a widely prayed over situation. I mean, I've talked to a number of people, and, and I know that it was widely prayed over among different groups, different churches in the United States. We we asked people to sign a pledge on our website that they would pray for him. Mm -hmm. We printed their names out and delivered those almost 16,000 names to him. The night before the hearing over in Turkey, uh, Tony Perkins delivered those to him at his home. You know, we know people in different parts of the world were praying for him. His church members in Turkey were praying for him. It really was very widespread, and I think the fascinating thing about the prayer aspect of this whole situation is the way it worked out even after he was released. You know, he, he's released, comes to the White House to meet President Trump, prays for President Trump, laying hands on him on national TV with all the press there, uh, you know, and they're reporting on his prayer, on yeah. his prayer of, of seeking the Lord, pointing to the Lord for President Trump, praying for President Trump. You know, and that was really a testimony to the fact that we all need God and pointing people's eyes toward God. And that's really what Pastor Brunson has done throughout this whole thing, this whole situation. Yeah. I, um, mm -hmm. It was neat to see 
God work things out in that way. I mean, I know that when I was over in Turkey, the day I got there, I just felt burdened, and even leading up to that, but felt burdened to pray for him in the days leading up to this, the day before when I was walking around Izmir, was praying for him, and just felt a real sense of burden. So, you know, it was, I felt like God answered my prayers, and many people were praying much more than I was. So, it was really an answer to prayer. I believe that all those prayers streaming together and it reaches a um, sort of an aggregate or a tipping point and uh, moves the needle right on the earth on, on an issue like that. And, and we can even see, uh, like in the book of Acts, we see instances of this type of thing happening where Christians are praying and people are supernaturally released from prison. I understand there was a note that you carried um, or, or that Tony Perkins carried together uh, from from President Trump and Vice President Pence. Do you know anything about what was on that note? Well, I know that um, the president gave Tony a letter to deliver to to Pastor Brunson, letting him know that, that he was supporting him, that he was advocating for him. And that, that uh, meant a lot to Pastor Brunson, meant a lot to us to know that the president was engaged enough to write a note. Uh, you know, that was one of a number of significant aspects of this case. You know, separately, Vice President Pence been very engaged on the case. In addition to those prayer petition names that we handed to him, Tony was able to deliver that letter to him. You know, and here he is then two days later uh, praying for the president in the White House, in the White House. on national TV, with national TV outlets tweeting out, in the White House, tweeting out his uh, prayers, you know, on, on Twitter. So. <laughs> That was really, really neat. Wow. So what, what was that court day like? Was that was that October 12th, Friday, October 12th? That was Friday, October 12th. You know, we got up, drove an hour and a half up the coast from Izmir to Aliaga, which is another coastal city where there is a prison complex, um, including a converted courtroom. It looked like a gymnasium converted into a courtroom. And apparently it was converted post-coup for trying all these coup, alleged coup perpetrators, hmm. and you could try, and under their system, a number of them would be tried at once in this big box. So they don't have any uh, sort of principle of justice that allows people to have an individual defense, but you're tried en masse. On this day, it was just Pastor Brunson who was in that box in a, in a big room, all of us crammed in the back, and um, three judges up front, a prosecutor sitting alongside them, Defense attorney down at Pastor Brunson's level, off to his right, where he clearly couldn't speak to him. He's too far away. Some of this is an ass- a reflection of the continental European origins of their justice system. They're not okay. like our own adversarial system that have been drawn from English common law. But nevertheless, um, you know, in addition to the differences in that regard, the abuses of this case were highlighted in the way that evidence was allowed in or not allowed in, which I've already mentioned. You know, so it seemed professional on the surface, but by the way the judges decided who would and when, and what was going through their heads when they would take these recesses, which we don't know, uh, you really had an, an orchestrated outcome, although on the surface it looked like it was based off of uh, witness testimony and evidence. Okay. Um, you know, so it was sort of a bizarre feeling. Okay. Was he being represented from within the country, or was there um, was he being represented from outside the country? He was represented by a Turkish lawyer. Turkish lawyer, you know, is, is, is obviously a high-profile case. He was mobbed by press, you know, when we were leaving the hearing. I know ACLJ, American Center for Law and Justice, was assisting his family, representing his family, okay. uh, and engaged in this case very much. But... Um, and it was represented by a Turkish lawyer in court. So the prosecutor was asking that he be placed back into prison for 35 years 
And you're saying they would take these breaks, maybe these 10 minute breaks and go out and confer and then come back. What was the tipping point on that day? Did it how did you feel it was going to go or did it, did it have any sense of a, of a miraculous sense to it? Yeah. So, you know, as I described this, the day unfolded in a way in which more and more favorable evidence for him was being allowed into the court proceedings. Okay. And then after all of that, you have the prosecutor get up there and just rant on in a harsh manner or a, a more aggressive manner, reading the indictment to the original charges against him recommending you back to jail. At that point, I know it was very worrisome for Pastor Brunson because, you know, that's just at odds with the evidence that was presented. That was the prosecutor's request to the court. And then you had another one of these recesses. Uh, judges go away. And you don't really know what's going to happen. Although the evidence looked favorable throughout the day, the prosecutor's taking a hard line. We don't know what's coming down. There was no word that the press reports about a deal being reached in the run-up to the hearing were accurate. I mean, no one knew, no one was saying, oh, yeah, we know these are accurate. We know exactly about this deal. There was a lot of uncertainty in the courtroom. The judges come back, and they just basically start reading the verdict, reading the sentence they're giving them. They find him guilty of terrorist-related charges, not the espionage charge, so a lesser charge. Okay. They sentence him to three years, one month in jail. He served time already for part of that. They um, they then announced that his house arrest is in effect lifted and the exit ban is lifted. That exit ban is the big key here because that was lifted. He could leave the country. And although the prosecutor could appeal, it was almost like they convicted him in order to save face. But they're also kind of, you know, winking with the sentence of the exit ban being lifted and say, OK, we know you're going to go and we kind of expect you to leave the country. That's what we want here. You know, this is me reading behind the lines a little bit, behind the scene, uh, even though they found him guilty, right? So it's kind of like they can save face, but then he's out of the country and the situation is over for the Turkish government. So, I mean, he was in prison for a couple years and then served maybe several months under house arrest. Was there, so they sentenced him to three years and a month, you say? Was there still a period of time where he technically had to serve, but they just let him go? There was, and that was a little unclear because they didn't really address that. You know, I think they, they were expecting him to leave the country. <laughs> so they felt, okay, we don't really have to address this, perhaps. Um, but that was a little bit unclear at the end of the proceedings. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and if people, let me just say, I, I did a write-up of the day in the court that um, has been posted at Christian Post. It's kind of like uh, an editorial uh, of my reflections. Oh, great. Um, and so people can find that under my name, Travis Weber, over at the Christian Post. And uh, it, it's titled, title of that piece is Pastor Brunson's Release, A View from the Courtroom. Okay, so that's ChristianPost.com? Yes. And we'll, and, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes for this for uh, to link out to that. Listeners can just do that. So he went then, I mean, within 24 hours, he was kneeling in the Oval Office, praying for President Trump, his hand on his shoulder. This is, as you say, going out through the media and Twitter. And I read where this is part of what he prayed. I asked God that you give him strength. I ask that you protect him, make him a great blessing to this country and fill him with your wisdom and strength. It's it's really an amazing, an amazing story. Was there a plane on standby and then you came through Germany and then back to the States? Well... You know, so nobody knew what the outcome was going to be when the outcome was announced. You know, there was decisions that were made in order to try to get him out of the country as soon as possible. And as the, the verdict comes down, State Department is scrambling, figure out what to do. Tony Perkins is in touch with them. To, there was quickly a need to get him out of the country. 
a, um, a DOD plane was called in from Germany, landed in Turkey and Izmir later that evening. Master Brunson, his wife, and Tony were on that plane and out of the country. And, you know, there was definitely a sequence of events which came together very quickly after that verdict came down. I mean, he also said, I heard him say in an interview on television that it was like a Joseph situation. Like Joseph in the Bible went from prison, he says, to standing before Pharaoh of Egypt. He went from standing before judges who could have put him in jail for decades to suddenly standing before the president of the United States the next day. That feels like a prayer outcome to me right there. Very much so. Yeah, it was it a was, um, marvelous development of events. You know, something only God could have done, really, when you look at it, and we give glory to God in this way. Pastor Brunson is, is exactly the type of person that I'd want praying, praying for President Trump. This really was a... Um, you know, fantastic uh, event to be a part of. And, you know, for me, it just highlighted the importance of increasingly engaging American Christians on international religious freedom issues. Because when you see the role prayer played in this, we can be encouraged that we can all play a part by praying for these situations, for the conditions of religious freedom globally. You know, prayer is the most important thing, and that's something that everyone can do. So we don't all need to go somewhere. We don't all need to be able to meet with a congressman on this. But if we just pray first, that'll change our hearts to be engaged on this. And of course, we want to do other things like let our members of Congress know we care about these, this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but prayer is really where it starts. You can really see the role prayer played in this situation. Yes, absolutely. And, and even um, I, I think uh, Pastor Brunson and his wife, is her, is her name Noreen? Uh, yes, Noreen. Noreen, yeah. She, um, they said that um, God was using this situation. This is their quote. You know, so many people who never thought to pray for Turkey were now praying for Turkey. And they, they, they now believe that his imprisonment was part of God's preparation for a harvest of souls in Turkey. And um, they say that this harvest has not really started yet, but there's been a shift. And here's their quote. Many people have started to seek more. They've come into our church saying, I'm no longer a Muslim and they're interested in the um, potential of becoming a Christ follower. Your point is well taken. Prayer is the source of all of this. Without prayer as a foundation, uh, we really can't get the the outcomes, I think, that the Father is looking for in the earth, in us, and through us. Everyone can pray, as you say. Yeah, I mean, you know, this this um, situation really showed that. You know, I think um, it is incredible to, to really see what God is doing here. Think about you know really opens our minds to the possibility, uh, the reality that we can't limit God. We often we often do limit Him. Uh, we box we try to box Him in. We we assume um, we assume assume things that He may have for us in our lives and sort of limit what He may want to do in our lives. That's not the way we should view God. We need to seek Him boldly, um, His kingdom on this earth. That's um, an others focused, a love driven approach and mentality, uh, but seek him boldly in that way mm-hmm. and um, lay down our lives. And we can't help but be, be compelled when we know what God has done for us as Christians. We can't help but be compelled to want to advocate for other people, advocate for their freedom, advocate for um, God's plan for them. And, um, you know, this is something I think that's driven home by this whole situation. Yeah, it's really a um, uh, international showcase for this. And Travis, do you feel that prayer should be not just like transactional, a request and something that we're seeking? And as you say, we think we know all that God wants to do 
in us and through us, but should it be transformational? Is there the sense in which when we go to prayer, we may go in with a certain, let's say an outcome in mind or how we think God should move in a situation. But as we're in prayer, our desires can change. He can shift us a little bit. We can be sort of realigned to a more more ideal plan that God has in mind? Yes, I do. And yeah, this is something that God is continually working on me on, um, you know, with regard to transforming me and the way I approach Him, the way I seek Him, the way I pray about things. Um, you know, as I pray um, for people, my heart grows closer to them. My heart grows in a way that makes me want their best, mm. seek the best for them, right. care for them and serve them. Um, it's very difficult to be angry at someone when you're praying for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we're commanded to pray for others. One of the side effects of this is that it actually uh, makes us, puts us in a position where we're seeking their well-being. That doesn't mean we're going to have no conflict on the earth. There's a spiritual war, but mm-hmm. but it changes how we approach things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think um, just in terms of, um, as we conclude in terms of some walkaways or takes takeaways that listeners could have from this, I, you know, I think this is, um, I mean, this is a real event, but there's also perhaps a, uh, a sort of a parabolic message to this, a showcase, a teaching that Jesus has for us about staying informed, right, and praying. You know, what would you say to the... Um, Citizen, you know, Martin Luther talked about how we are citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens on the earth. We sort of carry this this dual citizenship. Instead of just praying every two or four years during an election cycle, when all of these issues become highlighted and there's great concern and we always feel like we're sort of, I don't know, backed up against a wall on something. But what about sustained prayer consistently and, you know, being aware and engaged um, as a matter of a lifestyle, a sustained lifestyle? What do you think about that, Travis? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something as Christians we need to uh, pursue. It's something we need to pray that God would bring us into. It is God's plan for us to be in communion with us. Uh, you know, He desires that all people know Him, uh, but He will not force us to to seek Him. You know, we, but we need to um, to continually seek Him to ask that he draws closer to him, you know, into fellowship with him. And part of this then mm-hmm. is an outflowing into the areas that our faith impacts in our lives, all the areas that it impacts. One of these is our, our public life and how we live together as a people and as a country. Yeah. One of those is is who we ask, want to represent us in government and what they're going to, based on what they're going to pursue for the country. Mm-hmm. But all of this kind of comes back to a, an ongoing relationship with God it's not to be reduced to simple decision over who to vote for, um, but that's part of it. And um, I very much think that that uh, we need to pursue this way of living with God and pray for it and um, pray for more people to have it. Yeah, Jesus said, I think in Matthew 5, that we are the salt of the earth, but if we become tasteless, if we lose our our saltiness or our, our, um, you know, our strength as salt— he says, how can it be made salty again? I think another translation says, how shall it be seasoned? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Travis, what are your thoughts about just this sense in which we need to season spaces and places, not just government and public policy, but maybe like the realms of education or arts and entertainment and other spaces of influence? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think, you know, we need to be communing more with God, be praying and growing a relationship with Him, be praying for those who have uh, different roles in society, even our enemies, and 
praying that goodness and justice would be applied in those areas. Mm-hmm. You know, and those you mentioned some of the specific ones, but there are many areas, and we need to pray for people in all those areas. Yeah, absolutely. And salt and light, you know, where a city set on a hill which which cannot be hidden. Now, just as we close, uh, Travis, what about uh, what would you say to those who just want to be more involved in the area of government? whether that be just as from a lay approach, like as a citizen praying and staying aware and certainly voting, maybe being active in some way, or maybe they, maybe some people feel that they would be called to some kind of organizational work or even public office or even law. Can you just speak to that? I, I see it as sort of a gradient, you know, you could have some people on the one end of the gradient that are just sort of a lay approach, the average citizen praying, voting, staying aware, maybe a little bit of activity from time to time and, and all the way to those who would do it professionally. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I guess the one thought I have is uh, check out our website, Family Research Council at frc.org. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of information on there about issues that Christians care about in the public square and political and, and other areas. You know, but but as as someone pursues involvement, you know, they may be led into different areas, and some may be called to to be more involved in their local school boards or other areas of government. Some may want to run for office. God's made each of us differently, sure. um, and, and that our involvement is going to look different. But um, I think, you know, it's fair to say that He does call us all to be involved as Christians who care for our neighbor and as citizens of a country which is still blessed with freedom. You know, I mean, in Turkey, you can't actually um, freely and fairly participate in government um, in the same way that Americans can. This is even worse than Turkey. But, you know, this is a realization that we need to have as, as Americans, but also as Christians. Um, we have a stewardship yeah. responsibility for what we've been given. Um, this is going to look differently for everyone. Sure it is. But at least for everyone, it means caring about it, praying about it, seeking better, you know, seeking the best for one's neighbor, one's those who li- live near in our communities. Um, at a minimum, it means praying and, and then seeing where God may lead us to be involved. Absolutely. The two great commandments, right? Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that love your neighbor part is a big umbrella. There can be multicolored uh, way that that could look, you know, all kinds of shades of how that could be expressed. Well, Travis, I, I really appreciate you. Thanks for the work that you do. I, I can hear that you're a person of prayer, and I love that. Everything that you do, thank you so much. Thank you for carving out some time. I know you're on this tour right now, and uh, this is going to go up, and we're going to do everything we can to get it into as many ear holes as we can. You can you can check out the Family Research Council website at frc.org. There's also um, a legislative affiliate connected with FRC, which is FRC Action, and you can find that at frcaction.org. And don't forget to check out ChristianPost.com and just do a search for your name, Travis. You said, right, Travis Weber? Travis Weber. uh, The title of the article is Pastor Brunson's Release, A View from the Courtroom. Great title. Thank you, Travis. I really appreciate you, okay? God bless you on the tour. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Our honor. Edmund Burke was a political theorist and philosopher who served as a member of the British Parliament between 1766 and 1794 in the House of Commons. His famous statement is, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. As a developing Christ follower, some top-level quests we can engage in are to develop in prayer. Prayer has limitless potential 
and to develop in our identity in Christ and our kingdom agency. We have kingdom agency. We can operate with the dynamics of Jesus Christ's world, his kingdom. Visit the Family Research Council website at frc.org. Also, you can visit FRC Action, the legislative arm of FRC, at frcaction.org. Thanks, friend, for rating, reviewing, and following this podcast, iTunes, and other major podcast apps, also Spotify and YouTube. It helps others discover the content to see if it's a good fit. Plus, you stay connected. Here's an idea. Grab a screenshot of this episode and share it on social media. You can tag it maybe with Pastor Andrew Brunson or Turkey or FRC or Family Research Council or Religious Freedom. Or you can just share it directly from your favorite listening app. Visit JesusSmart.com to see the show notes page for this episode. You'll find links there more information. There's a player there. You can stream it or download it. You can leave thoughts and questions there. There's a contact page. As always, with Jesus, our horizon is brilliant. It's authoritative. Make it a smart week. All the best until next time.